and welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today, as I was telling you, we are going to have a absolutely fantastic author. In fact, I know she's the next dame that we will be seeing coming out of England. She is funny. She's got some of the most down-to-earth books that I've read in a long time. And I think she's a great believer in realism, so I can't wait to discuss that with her. But before we get into that and you find out who this extraordinary guest is, I'm going to quickly read our usual advert, which is called The Shadow, which is book four of the Time Guardian series by Marianne Curley, our beautiful Australian children's author. The battle is over, the war is won, the prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan. Struggling to cope with tragic loss, at odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping at shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Lothella's death, Giselle swears revenge and fullify the immortal's plan for world domination that Giselle hadn't planned on love. And that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart? Are the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battle through the past and into an impossible future, darkness lurks around every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or is it foe? Who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Prize of Freedom by Rosemary Cowie um, is she's donating all of her royalties to the Ukraine Refugee Fund to help support the re- refugees from Ukraine with this ongoing devastating uh, war. And uh, so is actually her agent too. So make sure that you stop by and check out her Roman uh, crime British series and uh, support the Ukraines where you can. Now let's go on to something fun. I've been looking forward to this all week. I've been driving my husband crazy with it. Let's welcome the beautiful, the gorgeous, Nancy Revel. Ah, well that is um, some introduction, isn't it? That's lovely. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I finally enough learned my introduction techniques and and, um, tricks from wrestlers. So I used to have to do... um, Sort of in meetings, I would have to build up storylines and introductions and stuff. And one of the things that they taught me was how to do an introduction. And of course, uh, thinking back to old friends, they, you know, they said, "You better do good introductions on your show." And I'm like, uh, "Okay, fine, I'll, I'll try." You know, I'm not, not, I'm not a professional ring instructor, but I'll do my best. So I, I always give it a good go. Some of them, some of my guests like it. Other guests find it uncomfortable, so I'm glad that you enjoyed it because I get some weird faces when I do it because obviously you and me can see each other. Our audience can because we're doing this audio. But yeah, it's it's super funny because everyone's like, how do you do that? Well, there's your your answer. It's it's my uh, time with the rest. Yeah. Very, very good. So I have to say I loved your book. Because I, you know, I've been sticking it out on Instagram that I've I've sort of been looking at it, reading it, and funnily enough, I discovered you 
because I was looking for my next Catherine Crookson author. And I had tried Dilly Court, and I think she's an amazing writer, but it seemed, it didn't seem realistic enough for me. I didn't feel that connection with everyday people quite the same as I did with Catherine. And then I tried a couple others. And again, I still felt like we were missing a point of it with stories about everyday people that were telling everyday stories. Mm. Then I found you. And I was like, hallelujah, I found someone that can replace my longing for Catherine. And also, I will manage to not walk around with a very um, cockney accent. Because for whatever reason, after I read Catherine Crookson's, I have to prevent myself from going into this very heavy English cockney Liverpoolian accent, which I believe I picked up from my best friend, Debs. But it is awful because I can't resist. Um, So, yeah, I love it. And I love the way that you did just the whole shipyard idea with the girls and you can actually see genuine struggle and survival and I love how you've done that as a series as well almost like you're you're pulling this struggle these girls through the whole way Mm. yes I think that's interesting and it's lovely to hear your sort of feedback on it as well because um that was something that was very important to me was to have that uh, realism in it. It was very important that I reflected that time as best as I possibly could. That could be because of my journalistic background. Ah, okay. And because that was always, you know, something, you know, sort of, you know, you, you learn it's a skill as a journalist. And, and, and that's possibly why I did an awful lot of research, because I thought if I'm going to write fiction that is set very much in a time that was true and historical yeah. and about, you know, real shipyards in a real war, mm-hmm. then I had to do it as realistically as possible it felt really important for me to do that so that meant I did lots of research and I think you you really pull that through because I grew up with both my grandfathers Mm. served and they served totally different Mm. ways as family but you know I had one who's an electrician and he would run around on this little army bike um, and bless him he was a survivor of polio so he had one leg shorter than the other But he would, that was his way of serving, was he did stuff with um, the electrics, he built bridges, he basically told them how to blow up bridges, and he had this whole other way of looking at things. And then my other grandfather was Merchant Navy, slash Navy, and he would actually go out and recover these um, people from the ocean, he would get people out of sunken ships and submarines, that was his job. And... That time frame, because I kind of grew up with them complaining and comparing everything to the war, which I thought was hilarious because they were quite young when all this was going on. I I always found it kind of, I got drawn into history because of that. And my history is not the best. I I did it at school and I was awful at it, but I still (laughs) loved it because I was growing up with Catherine. And my mom didn't actually want me reading Catherine, but I was reading Catherine Cookson, which, by the way, does not help your dyslexia. So don't think that's a good (laughs) idea. I discovered it made me a little bit worse. But reading her, 
it was really good because I was able to find somebody to inspire me a little bit because she's dyslexic. I'm dyslexic. I had a school that didn't understand what dyslexia was and they were trying to support me, but they didn't know how to support me. So it was really good and it really built that strong sense of if she can do it, so can I. And I'm a very driven person. And so anytime I get to have sort of fictional books, but they're set in a time period with everyday people, I absolutely adore it. And I think you know as well as I do that Catherine wrote hundreds of books. I haven't quite Mm. got them. I don't think I have them all yet because I keep coming across (laughs) ones and I'm like, wait, do I have that one? And then I run to the the bookcase and I quickly check and I'm like, damn it, I don't have that one. So uh, my (laughs) husband kind of gets annoyed at me. He's like, what book have you ordered this week? (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, I just love her. And I'm so sad that she's actually disappearing now from you. I think because she was, she sold so well to sort of the more senior, what we would class nowadays is the senior generation that the younger generation have no idea about her. So I'm essentially with this podcast, I'm keeping her going. And taking yeah, the Catherine Goosen banner and I'm flying it high and saying, hey, and I'm introducing her to a lot of American historical romance writers <gasps> to try and sort of say, hey, you can do historical fiction and it can be romantic, but you don't need to make it, I don't want to say sugarcoat yeah. the entire historical period, but I guess yeah. that is what it is in some respects. A lot of them do that. And I'm trying to yes, explain, you can have that great romantic story, but you don't have to cut out yes. struggle and tragedy because that was our everyday life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes, definitely. And I think that's the whole thing with, with history and historical uh, fiction is, especially if you've not lived through it yourself, yeah. is perhaps to sugarcoat it a little bit. And... I was lucky in the fact that, first of all, I set it in my hometown of Sunderland. So I was brought up there, so I knew it. I had been brought up similar to what what you've been saying with uh, references to the war um, and and family members that had been through the war. Um, So I think that helped me keep the realism and not to sugarcoat it. and I think that enabled me to write about that period. I'm just thinking if I'd been asked to write about, say, the turn of the century, that's never really appealed to me, probably because I, I, I would feel that was quite quite a stretch. Yeah. You know, it helped me being able to speak to people who had been through the war, yeah. whereas, you know, I wouldn't have otherwise. Um, yeah, so, yes, it's very, it's a very interesting one but I have found the same as you that sometimes it's a little bit sugar-coated yeah. um, but I am a great one for realism um, and, and when I read books myself I do it does have to feel very real even if it's a mad yes plot, oh there's you know. so many of those <laughs> isn't there um, but it's, it's funny you mention that because I up to before well actually after you I discovered Elizabeth Chas- Chatwick and Jean Plain who are very much, they keep the tragedy in there, they keep the the struggle in there, but they they get the most important element, which I think historical um, readers like ourselves love, which is the hope. The hope and the family yes. and the community and the connections that everyone had. And, 
yes, you know, all these people might have been struggling, but they had family. They had that strong, they had huge families. So they had a lot of people that were helping each other and really forcing each other through things. And to me, it was almost like I find them right after and I'm like, I'm going to hold on to them and I'm going to suggest them to uh, yeah. to Nancy when I get her on and say, hey, Nancy, you tried these? Yeah. They are a, yeah, they're no, our kind of stuff. But I also think what makes yeah. Catherine work so well is she did live through that time period where she was yes. a servant and she grew up in a servant home and she saw firsthand. I mean, yes. she was she was really young. She was about eight or something when she started working. And if not yes. younger than that. So she had yeah. that long sort of drawn out battle mm. of seeing racism you know equal yes. inequality and and sort of the women the violence against women which we're now seeing all these movements for but she was really tackling them mm. way back in the sort of 80s and early yeah. 90s when mm. those sort of things were not being discussed at all really oh yeah yeah I found her her autobiography uh, fascinating. I really enjoyed reading that about her her yeah. life. And I, I, funny enough, I read that as I was sort of preparing and starting to write the first book in the yeah. series, and and that gelled a lot with what I knew about my own parents' background. Yeah. Being brought up in in Sunderland, they were very sort of uh, poor working class, and my mum's family all worked in shipyards, yeah. so. It, it was, and the image I, I, you know, the feeling that I got from my mum was 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 a very unsugarcoated image, let's yep. put it that way. You know, it was hard. She was from a very big family. Um, her father died when a metal plate fell yeah. on him and she was only 14 at the time. And her grandfather died in the same way so there was and I tried to feed that kind of feel into the book as well to show that there was this level of danger and it was it was kind of accepted you know it it wasn't a big hoo-ha oh it's really dangerous um it was just it was kind of just accepted that was part and parcel of the Mm -hmm. job you know lots of slicing up of the fingers and 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 injuries burning themselves yes Uh, yes yeah and all yes all of that kind of thing so although I didn't want to sort of make the novels too dark I, I did want to sort of make reference to them so people knew that this was also happening in the yeah background. and you did such a good because, job of it I mean because when I I was starting to put together um what ended up being called the, the Shetland Royals back then and it was um it was to do with the bus movement we had a, a secret mission that was run at Shetland where spies were taken and dropping dropped in sort of finland and norway and denmark but it wasn't just that they, these are everyday guys families sons teenagers mm-hmm. who were taking their fishing boats out and were sailing across the sea to save refugees and not just refugees were they pulling out but they were pulling people out of um sort of ships that had been blown up or submarines that had been blown up and these were people that were survived in the sea and if they didn't pull them out they weren't going to and they would take them back to the islands and they would get them sort of 
reacclimated or help them, you know, get to Canada or or the states or get into、mm-hmm. the rest of the、mm-hmm. UK to try and give them a chance because ninety percent of the ones that they、mm-hmm. they rescued, I think there was only like maybe one or two that they they kept in a camp、um, because they were diehard German, you know, army, but. Everybody else didn't、mm. want to be there. Didn't want anything to do、yeah. with the war. Was forced in. They were trying to save their families,、yeah. or you know whatever the situation was.、Um, so that was what they did, and they gave up their lives to do that. But not just their lives. They gave up their boats. You know, the the women then had to step、yeah. up, and they would have to row out into safer. Waters and hope that there was fish there that they could catch and bring back in and feed the community. Yes, and, you know some of them took over the farms because、yeah. there was great farmland there in Shetland, and they were dealing with sheep and they were dealing with cattle、yeah. and they were growing because Shetland was very self self sustaining back then. So they were,、mm-hmm. you know,、mm-hmm. they sort of divided all this stuff among the community,、um, and Shetland、mm-hmm. almost continued on and. Yeah, it wasn't as impacted as much as the war, as a lot of places was with the war. But Shetland did lose a lot of men because the men signed up very quickly to go fight. You know,、yeah. a lot of them signed up very quickly to go either into the navy or into the merchant navy. Because even if they got rejected from the navy, they always had the merchant navy to go into. So it, they were,、yes. you know, most of the men were gone all the time, and women really had to、yeah. sort of. Pull their bootstraps up and say, "Okay." And young girls,、yeah. you know, who were ten, were dragged out of school and said, "Right, you know, you're going to sit and and gullet fish, or you know, on the the pier, or you're going to help cut the peat and dry the whatever was needed." They were using these sort of young girls to try and sort of kind of, I would say, bridge the gap. And I thought I took all these、mm-hmm. stories that I had from people from care homes and. From my grandparents and from their friends, because I was one of these writers before I knew I was a writer. So I was so pulling all these stories out of these old people that would visit my grandparents and、uh, get as much of the stuff that I could get out of them, so that I could one day write these stories,、yes. not knowing that I would actually be a writer.、Yes. But I liked that idea, and、uh, I was pulling all this stuff out. And I thought, well, how do I package all these stories into one place? And I, I came up with the idea of Shetland actually had. Royals. We actually had a royal earl, who you know the earl thing for Shetland no longer exists, but back then it did. So I thought, right, okay, the earl and his wife. I've got these three overly sort of fiery, extreme daughters who are going to want to go and do all this stuff,、mm. and the mum's going to want to keep them,、yeah. you know, continue that kind of yeah. No, no, we're ladies, and、yeah. you've got to marry the right man. You've got to be thinking about your embroidery, not. Not what you know, farm work you、mm. can be doing, or what fishing you could be doing, or do you know what I mean? All these different ideas, and then for the man, you know,、mm. the earl himself was—I kind of put him in charge of the bus、um, project and had him rus- r- rummy- running it. And it was so weird because when I was sitting talking to Celia Reese, who I've had on several weeks before you, you know, she was like, "Oh my gosh,、yes. this is really good! I want to read it when you're finished it." And I'm like,、yes. "That way now that、yes. I'm kind of like." Tied myself into a corner. I'm like, I don't want to finish it. I don't want to share it. But I get where you're kind of used your journalism <laughs> techniques, and I, I kind of did the same idea.、Yes. I wanted to use what Catherine、yes. had used herself: conversations with people who'd、mm. actually been through those times, 
who'd actually grown in that environment and who'd, who'd suffered yeah. and had to fight through those extreme times. I don't know if yeah. I'm going to ever pull it off quite as well as Catherine, but I'm going to give it a go um, because I believe a lot of Shetlanders would oh, love to see that to, yes. story sort of done and out there yes. in a fictional, yeah. fictional sort of base, but yes. with you yes. know true elements through, throughout yeah. the whole thing. And that that's my goal. And I think kind of I had lost all hope of doing that until I, I found your book and I was like, okay, people still want to read this stuff. Yeah. So maybe maybe it is worth going yes, for. Yeah. They do. Yeah. No, it is actually just as you were talking, I was thinking, gosh, that's such a unique yes. you know, idea. I'll tell you, I'm sure the publishers would be very interested in, in seeing a sample. Because they're crying out for that, you know. There's a big surge. I've not had that kind of experience Um, luck yet. So I actually haven't had had that luck yet, or or response yet. Um, Maybe I'm just not speaking to the right ones, but everybody's more looking for the romanticized sort of historical dramas, and I think that's partly to do with Bridgerton's rise and and all this sort of stuff. That uh, Mm. I've really not had that open door of more realistic historical romance um drama I've, i very much find closed doors and people maybe not as interested in it um which has made me hesitant mm. to kind of continue on writing it because i'm thinking i might write this amazing story and maybe like two people read it in a manuscript form because you know no publisher's going to want to touch this um i actually got a reply from somebody not not to do with this story but to do with a different story it was my viking story that said um it's not romantic enough and that that was really conquering the story of vikings uh, the last bloodline of the viking royalty on the run and and being hidden by other royal families in europe and I really did, I kept it in plain English so that it was easy to understand and read because there's nobody that's going to be able to read Old Norse, not in, not in this day and age. Um, so I focused really on that yeah. and, and so many publishers were just not interested in it. And again, I had pulled on local history and texts and, you know, stories from sort of Templars and Knights Templars and people that know this stuff in, inwards and outwards and, and the factual stuff to create that sort of story and again yeah no I really didn't have a, a very warm welcome at all and it's very it's left me curious it has left That's me very curious yeah I mean I, I always say to people who you know are trying to get published is you know get get an agent yeah. that really gets you and it has confidence in you yes and that you like because they have the ear of, of the yeah. publishers so I think that's where I would be looking initially I, I think that's at, what I will do. I think I'll go back to that. Um, and I don't yeah. think anyone does it better than us British people for, for historical, true historical dramas. Um, because we, yeah. a lot, I don't think it's it's, yeah. I don't think many British people really believe in sugarcoating it anymore. Um, but I think we have this unique way yeah. of we all, we've grown up with history around us our entire lives. And I think it just gets into our, our sort of pores mm. and into who we are. And then we're like, we really want to write it. I think as, as writers, we all kind of gradually, we start off in another genre, but we always end up going to that historical period. And I, 
And I, I just love the fact that you started off in journalism and you did that first. So, so yes. what made you switch? What was yes. the moment that it yes. clicked in your head that you, you wanted to write a historical? Um, I, I think it was more opportunity really, because I'd, I'd always wanted to write fiction and I had done my journalistic um, I'd, I'd had a long journalistic career from, you know, early 20s to, I think I must have been a- approaching, um, I'm just trying to work out my age now. Yeah, so I was definitely sort of early 40s. And I had actually started to write some first-person pieces. Um, it was a bit of a gradual drifting, really. So it started off news, investigations, and then I kind of, as I got older, I drifted more to features, which is yeah. very true life stories, you know, interviewing people like what you've just been saying about their experiences and and being their voice. So it was always about, it was very important for me to, to write their stories and, as accurately as possible yeah, and for them yeah. to like that. Um, of them do you please which is a really difficult thing to do but anyway so I went from there to then starting to write more first person pieces but that was perpetuated because I felt very strongly about um, um, not being able to have children IVF being being uh, childless by choice being childless by circumstance and um and things like the menopause things like that so and my husband had had neck cancer as well which obviously hadn't really been written a lot about at that time it was a particular sort of so I I sort of wrote all of this in in articles and yeah I did try to add a bit of humor to it especially with the IVF treatment and and I, I got an agent through all of that and she said oh look you know let's let's put out a book there on the IVF that didn't work out, but then a true life story book got a commission, which was about a woman who had, you know, remarkably overcome yeah. all of this hardship after being um, sort of a teenage prostitute, and that fell through for various reasons. And then I sort of came to this, um, just as that was sort of ending, um, one of the editors which had seen my writing. Um, in that ebook and in the yeah. the pictures that I had done for the, the the True Life book, and she said, "Oh, I really like your sort of style and your voice. Do you, would you like to to, to try write um, something written, uh, you know, in World War Two that's fictionalised? It's based yeah. around sort of a group of women, and and that wow. was that's how it came about. Um, yeah." Yeah, and, and it really grabbed my interest. I said, oh, yeah, you know, of course. You know, so I started to have a look, and, and and that's when I looked into Sunderland and what the women in Sunderland were doing during that period. And I started looking at the shipyards because they were such a big part of Sunderland and had been while I'd been grown up, or obviously they're no longer in existence. Um, and, and that was it. My imagination was just grabbed by the fact that, that these women work there and it had been such a male-dominated environment, which brings me back to something else you were saying, which is really interesting, was that I think during the war, for women, you know, taking away all, all the yeah. seriousness and the awfulness of it all, for women, it opened up these doors for them to, to do it really stuff. Did, it liberated yeah. them. And that, yeah, that really, really, you know, struck a chord in me that I w- wanted to sort of bring out. So, and that's how, how it came about, really. It was about these women who all of a sudden 
were given the chance to work in this place that had always been totally and utterly male dominated, like just no women. I think there might have been one odd woman yeah. that I heard about out of all the shipyards that worked somewhere in Jarrow and Hebel or somewhere, but generally no. And, and all of a sudden these women, were, and they were also taking on that role of, you just said that with the embroidery and, and meeting Mr. Wright and getting married. That was yeah. just completely, it was like black and white. You know, it was then donning overalls, boots, welding masks. Um, so fascinating. So it just went from there, really. And, and yeah, just totally captured my interest as a woman and how women had changed. And, and that's what I kind of tried to do a little bit within the series is is to show those it really how did, it changed yeah. those and women. It's so funny you say that because I was yeah. one of the first outside women to decide I'm invading the wrestling industry. <laughs> Not in a good way. I didn't get in the ring. It wasn't it wasn't <laughs> like that. I wanted to be a writer. Um and I wanted to write for these boys and I because I believed that I could help them tell their stories and I felt like a lot of them hit break walls when it came to kind of getting their points across and their stories across and I hit a very much it is 90% male behind in fact it's 99% male Mm. behind that curtain and Mm. there's only one company that I'm aware of that has somebody that writes wrestling story rights and I went and I studied under several men who wrote wrestling and I realized just how sexist a place it was. And I thought, oh, okay. None of the boys that were in the ring were sexist to me, which I was super relieved and it yeah. made me love them all the more. But these men that were behind the scenes, they super were. And even to this day, I still get told that I will never be able to write for a wrestling show for a wrestling company because I'm a woman, right? It's a very male-dominated world. So the good thing about this podcast, and I I did it in episode two when I sat down with my co-author, I'm kind of challenging them a little bit, but I'm doing it publicly where they can't hide away. And I'm very much publicly saying, why are we not having more females writing wrestling? Because... Funnily enough, some of the best writers for wrestling are female. They don't need to get in the ring. They don't need to wrestle because they watch the show with such a detailed eye. They pick out threads of wrestling that no male could pick out. I think we have that very unique DNA for females. So we see things that a lot of males don't. And I think I drove my my first uh, yes. sort of wrestling sort of mentor was uh, Vince Russo, and I drove him insane because one of the things the wrestlers had taught me was you have to be able to answer why to everything, right? So if you pick a rose for somebody, you need to say why a rose. Why do they need to do the storyline? Why do they need to wrestle this night? Why do you need them to wear a flower shirt, right? It's like crazy little things like that. And he hated me. He absolutely 100% hated me because I'd come to him with these storylines and I'd say, one of the first pieces I wrote for him was why they screwed up a romantic storyline and why were they making her fall in love with many different wrestlers 
over a period of um, like two months. I said, if you're going to do a romantic storyline, you need to build it over weeks and weeks and weeks. And it's very funny because this year, WWE did that. They did build it up over a number of weeks and then they kind of just spoiled it because they kind of had the fast forward button. And then it was like, oh, they're, they're getting married next week. And oh, the following week, you know, they're going to get divorced. I'm like, that's not how romance works. They don't have anybody on staff that knows how to write a good romantic drama. And if they're going to have romance in wrestling, they need to know how to do it. And they need to know how to do it right. So I kind of keep challenging them in that regard. I'm like, if you're going to come into our world, at least get somebody that could do it right. You know, like, I mean, we've got a billion dollar industry that's been around longer than wrestling. And there's a reason for that. We know how to do longevity, and it's not just because we've got yeah. 300, 400 pages to fill, but it's because we know how to tell a story. And mm. not only do we know how to tell a story, we know how to tell a good yeah. romance story that sticks in the minds of our readers and gets them to come back every week or every month or whenever we you know, we have releases. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. And that's part of the reason I became a writer was I found frustration almost not just within wrestling but within writing itself i felt like at a time when i started looking into females were getting very much segregated into romance and it felt like people looked at us and goes oh that's a female she should only be writing romance Uh, why is she writing fantasy or why is she writing crime and i'm so glad to see that we're breaking down those barriers we've got best-selling you know crime authors now here in the uk that are legendarily known we've dominated the historical side and we're doing really well with that and we're really sort of pushing the boundaries for fantasy as well and we're we're taking over the industry slowly Mm -hmm. step by step because i believe you know we're seeing more female editors in different genres we're seeing agents tackling different genres and not just sidelining us to one and saying okay you've written this kind of genre this is your brand you can't write anything else you know this is where you need to be and i think uh, agents Mm. themselves are letting us explore more and see where our voice takes us and see what stuff we come up with as writers and it's a lot more freeing i think for the writers nowadays than what it's been in the past and I, I think you and me are going to be the leaders of yeah, that as well. Yeah, or at least yeah, I think yeah. you will be because you'll be in the publishing realm and I'll be the I'll be the voice on the microphone going, hmm, I think we could be going into this one, girls. You know, lead the charge in a different way, almost. I'll, at least I like to think I will. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, it's just great. And I think you're right. You know, I think women do need to to be, you know, pushing their way into these yeah. areas if that's where they want to be, you know, and and not letting anything stop them. You have to have a bit of a hard, you know, tough skin, you, know, you yeah. have to sort of have a bit of a tough tough exterior, um, <laughs> as long as that doesn't make you too hard inside. But, um, but, you know, I think there's so many, journalism was very like that when I first started sort of back, you know, 25, 30 years ago very very male dominated and it's great yeah. that now it is so different you know males yes, club, there's yeah. still that intrinsic sort of you know 
dominance. But, you know, you have a lot of, of, of women that have come up. A lot of people I used to work with actually are now very sort of high up and yeah, influential is, yeah. within the media. And that's just brilliant to see. But, you know, like you say, they were they were pushing those boundaries, you know, and it takes time. That was 20 years ago. And it's, it, it's showing fruition now which is which is great so it's yeah it is worth it so any women out there wanting to do it, it I, I think it's know, also you great want to do it do it when you look at um, sort of jk Rowling is a perfect example when she decided to do harry potter it was a very male dominated you know genre that she went into and now you're seeing you know bestseller debbie glory yeah. has multiple best-selling novels in that area we're seeing trickles of women taking over sort of these children's novel areas and I think it just takes one of us to get in one of us to get in and prove that we can we have what it takes and then we can flip it around and I like to think that maybe when I look back in 20 years from now instead of seeing such a low number of disabled writers out there I'll see that you know the programs that I've been involved in like the one in four writers coalition program and stuff like that will have made a huge impact and we'll see a larger number of disabled writers breaking Mm -hmm. through and and really finding a home for themselves and a home for their talent and we'll maybe have changed the way that people look at especially disabled writers because I mean I've I've been rejected funnily enough from some of the biggest publishers in the world because I'm dyslexic. We're in a day and age where dyslexia is on a huge rise and publishers are literally turning away people with dyslexia because, oh, well, it's going to take more editing and maybe the proofreader a bit longer to read through it. Hmm, I I think that's an awful excuse for editors nowadays. So I'm... I like to kind of pick up the stick and say, hey, you know, some disabled people out there, I mean, you know my story a little bit, but I've been, I've been through the war. I know exactly what it takes to sit and write a novel if you've got a long-term health condition, especially when it's degenerative, to sit there and write something and then work with an editor you know, because you, you know, every one of us has to go and pay for a freelance editor to edit our work, go through all that process. And they're not cheap. So, you know, these freelance editors are not cheap. And we go through all that. And then to get turned away because we're dyslexic. It seems wrong. It seems like yeah, we should be terrible. a much more. Yeah. As a society yeah. now, we should be much more open and understanding. And I think. It shouldn't be about what you don't have. It should be about what you're bringing to the table. I mean, could you imagine what the world would be like if Catherine yeah, hadn't gotten that chance with Random House to have her work put out there? Yes. I mean, the Queen yes. was one of her biggest fans. She read every single one. She made her a dame. Yes. You know, yes. Catherine had no education. She never finished school. And she yes. got given an honorary degree. Yes. I can't remember what, yeah. what university it was, but they honoured her with that. But to, to now look at mm. publishing has gone yeah. in a sort of very yeah. weird way where it's so much tougher to get in. It's 99% tougher to get an agent. <laughs> I, I know because I've had some really bad ones. You know, the, the ones that are easy to get into is yeah. not the ones you want because you're, 
you, they're they're not the best. Right. Okay. That's I would like to kind yes. of see journalists shining a little bit more light on that, on the fact that there is these really bad agencies yes. out there, and that there's these publishers that are taking advantage. I think oh, you know really that would be a hell of a story. And if they actually highlighted the companies in the UK that were doing it. I think there'd be a lot of Sunday Times readers that would be going, oh, wait a minute here. You know, like, why is this going on? Why are these people having a tougher time of it? Yeah. Maybe I've inspired a story for somebody else, but. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing. That is, there's so many of this journalistic uh, investigations, uh, yeah. I think, that particularly when it comes to our world, kind of gets forgotten about because there's so many crimes on the mm. rise again. You know, we've got a very unstable world. We've had COVID. We still mm. got COVID, even though our governments have let go of all the restrictions. But COVID's still a big factor in our healthcare system. It's just, to me, I think there's so much mm. other stuff out there that, you know, if you don't want to read about COVID or you don't want to read about the war, there is all these other stories about structures and industry that needs to change. Mm. And there's things like, well, what is the disabled yeah. movement? Are we just a minority that's getting packed in with people of color and ethnicity? Or can we actually mm. be included in our own little genre, our own mm. little area where we're not getting that same stigma? Mm. And it is a stigma yeah. now. Oh, you're disabled? Oh, you're yeah, a minority. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, and then you worry if you've got a job that you've only got it because they're ticking the box. You know? It's it's a case of right, disabled yes. people. We don't want to be a minority. Yes. We want that open opportunity, but we don't want the stigma that's attached to it. You just want equality. or starting a job, yes, where you told them everything definitely. about your health, and they haven't bothered to read the report, and then you get let go three, four months later because they realize, oh, you can't do this, this, and this, or oh, you know, you you have to go away every month for for treat you know, a day hospital stay just to get treatment. Mm. Like, I mean, I thought yes. we were kind of beyond yes. that days. I, I, I feel in a society we're slipping a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's good that you keep making people aware of that because, you know, I mean, people like myself aren't necessarily aware of that because you hear a lot about the publishing industry you know, welcoming diversity and, you know, really, really pushing that message out there that they are addressing it. So it's good that you keep, you know, you keep going and, and, yeah. and telling them that. And it's diversity is such know, a funny word for said, me because diversity is not for disabled. No, no, seriously. Publishers yeah, say, just, oh, we're, we're open to diversity. We're open yeah. to including everybody diversity is their new word for colored minorities right it actually has nothing to do mm. with yes. including everybody or disabled people it is very much of this is to mm. do with coming up with a term or a phrase to say we're looking for colored minorities and when you go in and you say, oh, you said you were looking for diversity. Mm. Well, I'm disabled. And, you know, they go, oh, but, but what race are you? 
or what ethnicity are you? And I said, well, you're doing a diversity call. Why would that matter? And then I discover their diversity means they're mm. looking for your ethnicity only. If you're looking for ethnicity calls, do an ethnicity yeah. call. Don't don't yes. say you're doing a diversity call because it's very, very kind of yes. misleading for yes. disabled people. Yes. But it's weird yes. because there's that sort of almost like yes. disabled people, we have our own grapevine, I think. So the word kind of goes out on the grapevine. Hey, these people are mm. saying diversity mm. call, but it's not a diversity call, peeps. It's, it's, it's ethnicity. Um, you know, and it saddens me. It does, it yeah, really yeah. saddens me when I think if you're going to do something, uh, you know, be mm. honest about what you're doing. Don't, don't try and use a fancy term that means more than it does. You know, hmm. Uh, have you have you thought about writing and contacting the bookseller? Because I would, I'd love that, to that do would it. Be a I really just, interesting article to read. I've never there. thought of myself as someone sitting down and doing a journalistic article, simply because I look at my writing and I think mm, my dyslexia was so sure we're on that one. But it's not just that; it's like I never know who the right people to get a story like that out to is. Like I've never done sort of study journalism or things like that. I'm a great person. I will say to people, here's a story, run with it, you know, because if I can't do it myself, then I'm I'm Mm. big enough and ugly enough to say, okay, this is not my area. I can hand it over to somebody else and let them see where they go with it. Um, Yeah, I could could try it. You're a writer, though, so you could write your first-person piece. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're a writer, so you'd be able to write in any any format. You know, mm-hmm. it's whether it be journalism or fiction, non-fiction, it's in you, so you'll be able to do that. And I think sometimes it's just mm-hmm. realising these people are just people yeah. who sat at desks and they're no great shakes. They're just people. And if they, yeah. if they can get something through their email from you to say, which was mm-hmm. really interesting what you say there, look, let's call this out for what it is, this is not diversity. This is about ethnicity. Yeah. And we need to be having a discussion about. And then, you know, I think if I was the editor, Especially I would be really I looking at that and, and wanting to pick up on it. Diversity um, people. And then I find out diversity people actually don't have any mm. means to help people. It's like they're sitting there and their whole job mm. is to make sure that boxes are being ticked. They're making sure that, yeah. And it's it's a case of they're actually looking to make sure that ethnicity boxes are being checked, not making sure everybody's being included. Mm. Because if if you sit and think about it, everyone knows how big a writer's room is, (laughs) right? A writer's room can be sort of 30 or more people in some cases one person out of that writer's room Mm. could be disabled in fact there's actually a stigma in Hollywood and in some publishing areas where I've had agents tell, tell me and other friends of mine don't tell people you're disabled if it's an invisible disability don't tell them you have it and when I've asked why, it's because they turn around and say, well, they're um, scared of how it will be perceived. Or they're scared that you won't be dependable. 
and mm. it's it's it gauze me because I'm thinking we've got these laws about mm. making sure disabled people are not being sort of with you know mm. the same opportunities aren't being withheld, but at the same time, these laws are not very enforced. Mm. Disabled people don't have the money to do a big lawsuit. Mm. We don't have the money to go running after these companies and pinning them down and saying, mm. hey, you're breaking the law here by yes, ostracizing yes. us. Because no disabled person is going to want to risk bringing attention to themselves mm. and getting themselves in trouble because a lot of them are supported by the government in other ways. So they're mm. scared and they're scared to say anything. And Whereas I am like, okay, I've got an invisible disability, but I'm not going to be somebody that's going to deny what I have, you know, because at the end of the day, I've always been somebody that's fought for everybody else. Mm -hmm. I did it in Shetland. I fought for, you know, equal rights for a lot of disabled Mm -hmm. people. I was never honestly the most popular person for that because, you know, I was called an art, uh, sort of a, a rebel and, um, a troublemaker and stuff like that but I did it because mm, I mm. knew a lot of the disabled kids I was growing up mm. with didn't have a voice I fought for mainstream education for myself every yes. step of the way yeah. through my education process I had to fight yeah. the right to stay in class and I think that's scary that if you're disabled in any mm-hmm. way or you're reg- registered disabled yeah. in any way, they try yeah. to move you into these, what they call extra support need classes or areas where you're being taken out of so- social oh circumstances that you need to learn to navigate because you've got an invisible disability or you've got a physical disability. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. particularly for me in Shetland, I didn't like mm-hmm. that. I didn't like that at all. And I thought it, I now look at somebody who Mm. I admired greatly because he had learning difficulties like myself. And now he's running for council in Shetland. And if he hadn't had somebody like me who said, no, he deserves the same rights and same chances as everybody else. He wouldn't be where he is now. I wouldn't be where I am now. There'd be a lot of, kids that wouldn't be doing the things that they're doing and the more of us that are open and say hey we're disabled you know we're doing this we're living our dreams we're doing all these great things it is possible for you to go on and do this don't have people say Mm. oh well you're disabled so you've got to live a limited life Mm. you just have to learn how to balance it how to have yeah, yes. a well-rounded life, mm. but understanding that your disease or your condition or your disability mm. has to play a factor in it. It doesn't have to control your life, but it has to mm. play a factor. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yes. Well, I think, as I say, you've got a you've got a message to get out there, uh, and, and I, I always do believe think you've that's got the writing. Know how to do it as well. I can I can run. I can say what I want and know that someone's not going to come along and edit <laughs> half of it out or tell me that you know you've been on a run for twenty five minutes. Like it's a freedom mm-hmm. that I can sort of know that mm-hmm. I don't have to answer to people, and I can say, "Yay, you know, yeah. listen up." 
But it's really interesting because if you were to replay this um, this show and you yeah. were to basically write what you've just said, obviously taken out the bits of it, you would have your article there because you've just said it how I could see it being written in oh, an article. And that's what they used to always say in journalism. Yeah. Try and explain something just in layman's language. And, and on the page. You know, so yeah. I'm listening to your words so and weird. I can see them in an article. Yeah. So it would be really interesting, I think, for you to, to, to just as, a, as an interesting is to transcribe your words that you've just been speaking there. And I bet I, you, I, you I look would, at I'd that be interested to pitch that is, that is booksellers and see if I even and got a response. Uh, ask Yeah, I've actually well, tried I there also before, and Sunday Times and I got ignored. And all, all needs all up. Yeah, right. Well, keep on trying because it is hard to get yeah, these people's interest. Yeah, that's maybe where I'm going wrong. So, um, I mean, just make sure the you times the right completely person. changed um, um, to the point where I don't know anybody there yeah. anymore at all. So, um, yeah, but no, I, I've tried before and I think I, I will keep trying and I always will keep trying. Um, but hopefully, you know, together you know as authors if we're all continually raising each other up and we always keep got keep you know if we all together keep raising these issues and maybe yeah. we can make a change and you know and one day I, I, if i could get jk yeah. Rowling on here maybe yeah, i can get that you know that message spread just a little bit further you know like that's why i keep i actually contacted her and asked her to come on and yeah, i got i got definitely. a very um i got a good blow off email back to say She's very busy right now, and she's not doing oh. any any media whatsoever. And I was, I was a bit disheartened. So I was like, "Oh well, at least some classes media. That's kind of cool. That's a step." Uh, well, you know, and at least the, the there's the there's the yeah, applicants. I, I get a lot of which silence. Is something. It's just nothing worse than just not I've, getting I've, a reply. I mean, when I first so ever published my novel, um, the only people that actually covered yeah. it was the Aberdeen Journal because I spent half my life in Aberdeen and with Shetland Times because I come from Shetland. But when I actually reached out and I, I kind of wrote this really detailed story about my life yeah. as this struggling disabled author who's finally broke through and had a mainstream, well, a traditional deal and stuff like that, I got silence. There was crickets across all of the, the papers, every one of them. And it was the most awful feeling. So I've always been nervous about reaching out to any of them since then because it was it was literally crickets. You could hear it, crickets. Like no no reply, uh, nothing. I tried following it up, phoned in a couple of times, and no one ever got back to me. So I kind of I I only go back to the, the ones that I know that will respond mm-hmm. now. I think when you get burned so many times you kind of learn okay maybe that's not something that they're interested in mm-hmm. and, and you I think you don't want to really bother them too much I know that sounds awful but it's very difficult mm. it, it's hard because it's very um oh, yeah it's uh, you, as I say you have to have an incredible amount of confidence in yourself but not to drag your confidence down when when you're not having a response or there's rejection. Um, right. When I was a journalist, I used to pitch a lot of feature ideas because I was freelance, and 
yeah so it was very much um finding the right people to pitch stuff to and it took me a long time obviously to establish myself for people to actually reply um um yeah of course I can was, imagine yeah it's very hard not to take it personally um that kind of you know lack of communication um but what I did do was I tried to sort of fine-tune the people that I probably like what you've you've done which is find people who are more on your wavelength and then you kind of have a bit more of a two-way you know communication with them and, and build it from there but it's very hard it's very hard and sometimes if I'd have a really good story and nobody wanted it and, and it, but it was really meaningful, and it was a story I felt like should be out there. Did and, you never think? And no, it was very frustrating if nobody your wanted own it. Site where very you can frustrating. Just post the and sometimes they really matter mm. to you, so that people could still read them. Um. Yeah. No, I didn't, to be honest. Probably because you know I, I just had to earn a living, and, and I, I couldn't have in that way. Um, but I, I was, but I was quite lucky in the fact that I did get to write generally about what I wanted to write. And if I saw a story that I felt like should be out there, I generally managed to get it out there. So say 80% and 20% failure, but that was probably because it was very news orientated. It was probably because, um, you know, it it wasn't celeb or anything. It was very um individual unique stories so so i was lucky in that way no yes. no yeah and just about sort of you know you, you, that, that you is a myth that i get a lot which is another reason i did the show because everyone thinks if you're an author even if you're an indie self-published author they think we have millions and that is not the case people it is not the case so another yeah. reason for doing the show is almost to defunk yeah. all the myths about us. Like we're not all living in mansions um, with servants and butlers, and you know we do go to Asda and Tesco, and we all stand in line and we all grump yeah. about how long it takes, and you know we yeah. all go to coffee shops and libraries, and you know we do normal everyday things. Yeah. We're not going out oh, to yeah. fancy lunches, and we're not having our publishers take us to lunch all the time, and going on secret little trips with yeah. our agents and things like that. No, we 90% yeah, of the time, if we're not stuck at the computer, we're hanging out with family and friends. You know, we have that normal social existence. Okay, we none of us had that normal social existence with COVID. Yeah. None of us. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody that was high risk had it worse because we had it longer, yes, I think. Yes, that, I mean, that's because true, Because yes. once everybody but, got know, to go back to work all the high risk ones we were still at home so we had like an extra six to nine months of being at home because well you know we're high risk like I'm still high risk and even when all those measures lift on the 31st I still have to think like a high you know they they tell me oh you're still high risk you've got to take your safety measures Mm. wear your mask in shops and you know even if you're at the hospital and everyone's walking around without masks keep yours Mm. on you know like they drum that into us um and actually i keep keep forgetting to go for my second shot actually um you know and i'm i'm not just being sort of protected three times i've had five of these boosters 
And every time you get it, you lose like two days because you're sick as a dog for two days. Right. Everyone else is like running around happy. You know, they're having all these mild symptoms and I'm the one yes. in bed like. Ugh. My hubby's like, are you dying today? And I'm like, yeah, pretty much. I'll just oh lie here. Gosh. I'll see you in eight hours. Don't. <laughs> you know, he, he's kind of oh, gotten used to, to that side of me. But I was looking at three cheers oh, for the shipyard. Yeah. And I must admit, I, I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on it. So do you want to tell the, the, the listeners out here, I have a terrible habit saying readers, I don't know why, um, or viewers, which is even worse because they can't view us. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the book and what, what inspired this storyline for you, this one in particular? Well, this one is the final of the series, so it was very exciting to write, very scary as well, because I was pulling all of those storylines and bringing them to an end in a way. Um, But I really, really enjoyed writing it as well, because I kind of knew what I wanted each character, what, what I wanted to happen with each character, and that that brought me quite a lot of joy and um so that is the final book really so you go through yep. the first one it's six months yeah. every six and months and like, then oh, you're, no. you're there how are you feeling about ending the series have you got another idea in mind that you're going to follow or are you kind of at this nervous bit yes definitely well interesting because um, when you were talking about changing genre Mm -hmm. so I've written 12 books within the saga historical genre and I feel like I'm very lucky that you know the series lasted so long and I feel like it's been a lovely experience but I want to write crime now which is why it's interesting what you were saying with regards women in crime etc because I have so much experience within reporting crime, writing crime, and working as a journalist. I just felt like that's a genre that I, I really have some feel great like friends in crime that I'll have to introduce you to. Yeah, um, so that's what I'm doing at the moment. One of them was actually my mentor in school that helped keep me writing. And yeah. her name is Marzi Taylor, and she's a best-selling oh, crime yes. author from Shetland. And hers is all set on a sailing yeah. boat. But she also has um, oh. an invisible health issue. Um, so I like yeah. I love her because she she really is that she's she's a rural town girl. She's fought through this incredible difficult invisible disease, which still sometimes completely knocks her out. Mm. And then on top of it, she's she sails boats, you know. So she really taps mm. into things she loves, and that's what I love about her. Wow. And then of course on our that's show we just had yeah. M W Craven. Yeah. Yes. On. Yes. And he's quite a big name in crime. So he is, he's got a really good way of putting, I think it's very ordinary people with sort of very, very comical twist. Um, So I recommend keeping an eye out for his podcast coming out, his episode coming out, because he is genuinely very funny. And then we've had the very, very lovely Ruby Force. And she actually did an extremely long crime series. So her book series itself was was incredibly long. It was very interesting. 
she actually used Washington, D.C. as her base. And I think mm-hmm. that one you should you should check out. Um, I'm trying to think. It's the mm-hmm. Fatal series, it's called. Um, I think there's like, I want to say 14, 14 or 16 books in that huh? series. But again, she's someone that... Yes, there's a lot of romance in it. So she's sort of like the romantic crime version. Then you've got Marsley, who's very much procedural UK. Mm. And then you've got Mike, who writes Mm. Poe in their kind of comical, very dark and deep crime. So let me know if you want to to meet any of them. And I I will definitely set that up because it's it's really good before you jump into a genre to have those kinds of conversations because it can almost, I, I like to say, it prepares you for when you hit the water. Yeah. And it makes it kind of like you can go, okay, I know what I'm getting myself into. Yeah. And it eases, eases the way a little bit. Um, I didn't do that. So yeah. when I, I wrote yeah. my first um, crime novel, yeah. which has never been published, it's never been seen yet. Mm. But I actually sat with the guy that was in the first 48 hours, which is mm. a crime series mm. on, you can see it on uh, Amazon Prime or Sky. And I sat with him oh. and I came up with the series and I went through all the oh, procedures yes, with him. Yes, yes. And he was like, you've got it. You know what you're doing. Just, just go and write it. And he's such a great supporter and he's a very good cheerleader of mine. Um, I just haven't had the confidence to send it to any crime agents yet, but I, I will get there. I'm just working my way through the editing side of it because I, I want it to be yes. as good as it can be. Yeah, um, do it. Yeah. Yeah. And re- remember with agents, a lot of the time, because they're so yeah, busy exactly. and they're looking at a lot of stuff, they quite like to see just a very short summary and an extract. So sort of, you know, whet their appetite and then have them coming back for more in a way. And then you can give, I always say to people, don't try and perfect it too much. Just try and give them a nice extract of a really strong part before the first, you know, 20,000 words. driven mind. And I was very scared I'd gone too gory almost, that I'd gone too dark. Um, And then I met met Mike, who's um, Dolly Craven, and he went, Crystal, don't be silly. He's like, you can go dark in crime books and get away with it. Just don't go into the horror genre. So I had to just quickly check where the lines between the two were. So that's more where I'm just sort of kind of going over certain bits to make sure that I'm not overstepping into the the horror. Yeah. It's very... Yeah, it's very hard with genre, isn't it? I find genre yeah. really difficult because it's it's it, it can be very pigeonholy, and and I don't know if anybody really fits into a genre. I mean, if you look at say something like the Shipyard Girls, it doesn't totally yeah. fit into saga historical saga genre because it's got other elements in there, and yeah. and it's like what you said yeah. with the crime. You know, if you've got a bit of romance in the crime, then is it crime? Is it romance? And yeah, it's really hard yes. to put stuff in. But I think we should move forward as sort of a reading and writing, you know, public to just kind of yeah. forget about genre and, and just do what you think. So if you want to put something that maybe is a little bit horror-like in, 
I, I, yeah, I'm kind I, I of for pushing those barriers. I think there's a but sense of people would probably argue as against a reader, say, no, we need, to, you know, we some need readers don't certain want parameters. That cozy crime. So that they're looking for something darker. Or there's ones that are like, well, I want something that's romantic but has yeah. a crime backdrop. So you get like um, I think the best British versions of explanations to this is yeah. like you get Mills and Boone suspense, which is crime, but with romance. And that's funnily enough what Marie Force did was she was um, yeah. she was Korean yeah. press because that's the American version, and it was simply suspense, romantic suspense was what she got. And she was able to dominate it because she kind of knew, okay, I can have my romance, but I can have my suspense. I can have mm. those dark crime. She would just read a, a crime article and that would become the, the backdrop of whatever it was she was writing. Mm. Whereas Mike would go and he would dive into, you know, an idea or a concept of, of a murder or a story. And he would really explore that. And his is known as sort of dark crime. The crime that you would see at like Bloody yeah. Scotland, which is our, our crime book festival here in the here in Scotland, uh, must recommend you come along too. It is a little pricey, but if you're going into crime, it's uh, a must. Yes, yes. And you kind of come up and you get to meet uh, sort of the uh, Anne Cleves and the Marzi Taylors and the M.W. Craven. Yeah. It's a great place to mingle. They have so much knowledge that they pass on. And it's not just a signing where you walk around and you buy books. Mm. You get to really discover this other world because mm. that's the thing about genres. Like you get the the Romance um, Writers Association, which has taken over mm. Edinburgh this year. They and that's for the whole romantic genres. Now there's a lot of genres in romance, but they mm. have that kind of way where you can go in and you can discover all these genres of romance. And you can meet well-established writers and get to grips with the genres that you want to get involved in. And that's what I always say. Sometimes it's it's good to not only just to have conversations, but to yeah. go to one of these conventions, see what readers are reacting to. And then that can almost help because mm. I hate saying this, but marketing really falls on us as the writers. Yeah. I don't know if you have the same experience as a lot of us, but we have to almost when we're finished the book we have to then put the marketing hat on and go how do i promote this to the readers like how is it i get this in front of the audiences that that are buying it so i almost have to put that hat on and that's why mm -hmm. i always say if you're going to do these kind yeah. of things go into the conventions yeah. go into and the that, yeah. and experience these worlds because a writer's retreat isn't going to tell you everything you need to know but mm. it gives you a good starting place but yeah, really come along, feel the atmosphere of these conventions and, and mm. talk to the people that are have been in it for mm. a long time or are doing really well in it so that you know the, the, the pitfalls to avoid, which I always think is a good mm. one, but also to kind of have that great understanding of the passion that these people have for mm. it. And so you can return yeah. the passion of your own writing to the to the readers because the readers are what we do this for. It's not... It's not about the money, it's the readers and the people that's involved, yeah. 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 Yes, exactly. Which was good. Yes, definitely. Earlier on when we were talking, I was going to say this, you can't go into writing and, and do it for the money. You just have to go into yeah, writing and it's, it's because great you look because to write. And, 
you look at in your the reader's faces, and when you fulfilled. see that light, um, that smile that they get when they get their signed copy, or they go in and they get the latest copy, and they're so excited. Mm. The ones that really break my that, that that totally melt me is when they buy the book and then they go and they find the nearest seat in the shop, mm. and they curl up in a ball in the chair and they just dig it. You know, those are the ones that I go, oh, that's so me. And I, I get that kind of that that um, melting side of feeling yeah, inside yeah, where yeah. you're just like, oh, that is to me yeah. why we're doing it. The stories are important, but it's the readers themselves. Because yeah. yeah, any one yeah. of them could be the next J.K. or could be the, you know, the yes, next Nancy Revel or the next yes. Crystal Flyman or, or whoever it is. Um, and I like to mm. I like to look on it in that way, and I like to hope that you know we're we're giving them an escape from maybe a a less nicer life than what they're living or just an escape from health issues i mean i know books got me through some of the darkest times in in my life you know yeah i hope i've given you some helpful information on that yes i definitely think that is you know that is really yeah, you know, you have definitely, definitely, especially as changing genre is quite a big thing. And, and you're right. And the publishers are very, they do have certain things that they don't want in certain genres. And, and they do that for a reason. And they know their job. And you're right. It is down to marketing at the end of the day. But at the same time, I do think you're, mm-hmm. you're right with, with listening to the readers as well. Sometimes there's stuff that they, they don't want to read, you know. For example, say the, no. you know, the, the, the saga regional genre, you know, the readers don't want to read any kind of erotica in there and, and, and you can totally get that. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's deciding what you're comfortable with as a writer, I think, um, definitely. But yeah, I think at the end of the day as a writer, you, you do have to write what... You almost kind of have to forget what you, you have to want look to write. The noise. So, so it's, I think not yeah. writing, like I always close the doors, close the windows in my mind, and I write. I mean, I'm the only person I know that wrote a YA fantasy in HDU and ICU mm. last year. And I was reading in ICU and HDU last year because I couldn't talk. I had my whole voice taken from me. I had a trachea in. And for me, writing and reading got me through a year of hell i lost half my body weight the day i was supposed to get married i was back in surgery my husband came at three o'clock in the morning and he sat with me because i was going in at 6 a.m and he held my hand and he walked me to the theater door and he said you're gonna be okay crystal i love you and he walked me in but for me sitting you know, no matter how many wires I had or tubes I had, I was writing and I was creating this other world. And I might share that. I'm not shared that manuscript with anyone. I mean, you might be the first person I let to read it because it's truly, char- I'm character driven. Everything I write is character driven. And I've only just learned the trick after being in this industry for over 10 years, not to info dump. Yes. I am terrible yeah. for info dumping, which is when you just take a whole bunch of the past and you use dialogue to stick it in there, or you just do it as a memory. That is called info dumping, apparently. And I am terrible for that. So mm. I've been kind of learning how to do that without mm. 
doing it so obviously. Yeah, and okay. I've done... <laughs> Funnily enough, it was, and, and, it and was what, something how have you, I picked How have you worked out to do it without it she being obvious? Little, little, like, one or two sentences throughout the book, and that actually builds in the past. So you're not getting, like, an entire paragraph that derails the storyline, but you're just getting, like, a little sentence here oh, and there, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you don't actually realize it till you, re- till you get to the end, and then you're yeah. like, oh, I it makes sense i get it you know but you have to read it to the end and it takes it stops the um yeah the rhythm of it getting knocked out yeah so i might i might do that honor and let you let you read that because it's just back from the editors it's all the edits has been done on it and i'm like i have a couple of things to tweak if the editor's right but i don't know if she is so i'm kind of sitting on the fence my my little thing is yeah. I have to, to explain why yeah. earlier they want yeah. me to explain what Selkie is. And I'm kind of stuck on that one. Because if you're British, you know what a Selkie is. If you're not British, you don't. And that's kind of mm. where I'm stuck. Because I kind of did it little bit, little by mm. little throughout the entire series that this guy's a Selkie... And that he right. comes from a seal and, to, to, you know, was shedding his skin and stuff like that. But I'm nervous about putting in a proper explanation at the very beginning. Because I'm scared that that derails my entire story and will take away from it. So I might ask you for your thoughts on it because mm. it's nice to just get an outside opinion and go, okay, am I, I'm probably yes. overthinking this. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's nice to do that with, with people. And I yeah. don't. I had beta readers. Yeah, it's very hard. But I want yeah. this to be something that I do with somebody very special to me, and I think you are very special to me in that regard. And I trust your your opinion very much. So I know it's not your your typical read because it is a YA fantasy, oh, okay. but it might be something different. And the um, only other person I'll be sending it to um, is Celia mm-hmm. Reese, who is a very famous yeah. YA children's author in England. So, very nervous. Very nervous. So, um, it'll be interesting to see because I, I might, I, this book might get hidden forever. Ooh, yes. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yes. It's exciting. Yeah, and I hope it's good fun oh, for everyone. Got, so, let's get into books. This, is, there, our, this is your and my week's spot. <clears throat> I bet you have a whole pile of books hidden away that yeah. you've been reading and it's on your TBR. So the first sort of area into this we're going to ask you is what books have you read recently that stuck with you the most? That's that's interesting. I did think about this because I have been doing a lot of reading lately. I'm the same, yeah. Which which might sound an obvious thing, but actually when I'm writing, I can sometimes not read so much. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I tend to watch sort of more stories on telly, more visual stories, I guess, as as just to sort of. Um, so the, I've read some really good ones, actually. I mean, there's a woman called Fiona Barton who is also actually an ex journalist, and her books are very good. She's written about four, and she's got a new one coming out. 
Um, and I've read a couple of hers, and hers are very, very good, very well written. Um, yeah, really sort of, you know, have you wanting more and more. Okay. Um, I've just finished The Chalkman by C.J. Tudor, who... Um, doesn't let you and go that was very end. good yeah. as yeah. well I another one that books, just yeah. sort of drags you in there and, and and really does have you sort of you know rampaging through the book yeah 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 and they're all things that I would I wouldn't I've been trying to pick yeah. books that I wouldn't necessarily have chosen myself funnily enough to sort of force myself to to read different genres different books um no, that one I have um, heard of. And it's been of. really yeah. interesting. I've really enjoyed if it. If you enjoyed actually. that Claire one, check out Scandal of Anatomy. Because that's yeah. also on Netflix. That was Do you remember Downton Abbey, the oldest daughter? In- oh, yes, I have heard of that. Yeah, she is the lead actress in the Scandal, Anatomy yeah. of Scandal. Oh, and I it. totally yes, recommend brilliant. it because... She's amazing in Downton Abbey, but it's like yes. she takes it to another level yes. in Anatomy of Scandal. I don't like the other Excellent. lead female actress as much, but I don't know if that's because I'm slightly biased in the yes. regard that I'm connected to the other yes. actress because she was in Downton. So I don't know if that's maybe what it is, but I did love her acting in it. She did such a superb job. Yeah, yes. I really recommend her. Yes. Oh, gosh. You asked me that. I, I remember titles, yes. but I never remember yeah. authors. And, and who who wrote that? Which what what who wrote that? Do, so you do it as well. Oh thank God! I feel I feel like yeah, I'm the same. I, I'm That's why I have to have my list ready for when you ask me this question. You see, because otherwise I would have been. Um, yeah, of course, yes. Totally. It's weird because like I'll go into a conversation. I'll be like, oh my God, have you read so? Yeah. It was Sarah. No, no, no. I'm Bob, so there. B a u g h n. Yes. Um, I love I love her new cover. She's just released it oh, in a new cover. Yes, it was I remember actually now. Got yes, the Netflix. Yes, I do. Yeah. One on it. It's like a Netflix picture on it, and it it does. I prefer the oh. old cover, but then I'm a bit more of I like original covers. I don't like yes the sort of newer ones that come out. Uh, and I'm terrible because if I like the US covers, I don't know if you do this, but if I like a US cover, I'll order the US version to the UK version because sometimes I like the US covers better than I'm terrible I, I surprised Debbie oh. Hartness because she had all these UK covers coming through and I walked oh, up with this plastic bag really with all her books yeah. in it and it was the US covers and she's like I haven't seen these in ages these are all US covers and I'm like mm-hmm. yeah I like these ones better and she's like <laughs> totally totally derailed her oh. entire uh Exciting because yeah. I had a lot of wow. writers' questions for her, and uh, unfortunately, she, oh, she clicked really that I was a writer, and then somebody googled uh-huh. me, um, or sorry, her assistant googled uh-huh. me, uh-huh. and came up came up with my pen name, and then we ended up yeah. discussing one of my novels at the end of yeah. uh, her signing in the corner. Yeah, uh, she uh-huh. just signed all my books, and she's like, "Can I have a chat with you? Just like five minutes?" And we just talked about my oh, book, and she's like. It's yeah. so nice. Oh, yeah. She says, I've not had a, a, yeah. a real writer, you know, approach me in so long. And I was like, I don't really know if you can class me a real writer, but okay, you know, I'll go with that. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's excellent. 
yeah. And I think I think sometimes, especially now, writers uh, do are very sort of reclusive and, and lonely. And and I do think you, you when you talk to another writer, it's, it's very exciting. It's because, not no. And you know, I, mean, you, I love it when I get a good set. Of yeah, which is we love our husbands just, and partners I mean, and all the rest can, of it. It's not the same. Is it? <laughs> I usually only get like an hour for a signing. I end up maybe being yeah. two and a half hours. Yes. And usually the bookstore person standing doing this. Yeah. Looking at their watch and then looking at me. Oh, and I, I'm you. like, mm. <laughs> So, yeah. I, I, I love that. Oh, I do love no. getting, um, to sit down with other 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 writers and other authors yeah. and oh. particularly readers. Because my poor husband, oh. he hears about every book I read or I'm writing. He knows. He, one of my, my first ever novel, <laughs> I read it to him on while well, he was driving me on the tour mm. so he actually knew the book better than a me and b better than any of the readers mm. and he's like i hope i yeah. never have to hear that book again because he, he, he hated uh. that book he really did <laughs> yeah he's not a romance oh. fan so <laughs> Um, and it's sports romance, and he hates wrestling at the Why best he hates times. It? Why did he hate it? Romance and wrestling together, and he was just like, uh, "Okay, no, yeah, no." So um, if he, oh, okay, I hate it. I, I, uh, oh, I, I hate it so but it's, much it's because to, to read I see the your flaws, own words, isn't it? it, it was, and then I, in, I kind of like, I go over it and over it and over it. I'm like, oh, I want to rewrite this part. And I really want to rewrite this part. And particularly because I'm dyslexic. Yeah. I don't see the mistakes till I've been away from the book for a year to two years. And even then I miss all yeah. of them. Well, most of them. So then like when it comes out yeah. and it's published and I know I can't change it for some reason, then I see uh, the mistakes and I'm like, oh, and it's always like really something small like i might use the wrong version to like cite you know for like it's always those tiny little things it just mm. you know even a copy editor or sometimes misses mm. and i'm like mm. but yeah I, my first one was marie's yeah. one this was a traditional yeah. um publisher called yeah. austin macaulay publishing that was the first time it was published and I sold out everywhere I went. But here was the caveat. I actually had a co-author who was in Germany mm. and he was trying to get a visa to come with me, but they wow. wouldn't pay the £45 for his visa. So everywhere was, and they didn't do the advertisement yeah. for where we were going. So I, when the, oh. fan, the fans that did follow our social medias, they did turn up. But I had those awkward moments of when I was having to apologize to the wrestling fans for Joe not being there. And I was just like, oh, this is so awkward. And I, I you know, and I've never gone back with them. But, it, it, you know, I just I wished it had gone better because I think that book really would have taken off if they'd guess they paid us in advance. But none of us was actually informed the advance was the marketing budget. So that would have been nice to have known. And also we got told that our fuel would be covered driving to all these bookstore mm. events. And then they didn't cover it. Yes. So, yeah, I had a, a very unhappy hub, hubby who paid for all the fuel, kept all these fuel receipts. Yeah. And uh, we had done such, I mean, it was uh, every day, yeah. sometimes twice a day we were doing signings. And I worked myself to the oh. bone. 
no marketing so i'm turning up and i'm selling all these books by word of mouth and sometimes when i was turning up to these bookstores the books were four yeah. minutes after i arrived they would show up still in the boxes mm-hmm. so it was always that nerve-wracking oh i hope these books are going to show up in time and and it was all because the press didn't actually print enough the first oh, one. So, yeah, it was nervous. And I've learned a lot from that. So I've learned oh, to, like, gosh. check that people have done the the marketing for oh, me coming and, and all that kind of stuff yeah. now. Um, yeah. My next, the next one event that I really want to do mm. is I want to do sort of more mm. library things to try and keep the libraries alive. Um, and I think I would book more library events Um you know, like I would like to go up and do something for the Shetland Library and the Arcadian okay, Library yes. and stuff like because those are ones that really don't get yes. any guests. Yeah, I think J.K. Rowling did the biggest surprise. She flew to Orkney mm. when they were reading one of her books, and she went because they bought her yeah. cake. Yes, how strange is that? You know, and then Orkney kind of held it over Shetland that uh, yeah. they got J.K. Rowling to come to one of their book club meetings <sighs> because they bought her cake. <laughs> Shetland was not happy for so long, mm. <laughs> but that's the kind of fun that that, that these that the northern oh, libraries have because it is kind story, of yeah. spiritually uh, kind of based uh, stuff. And I know your your books uh, do quite well in the Shetland Library, so mm. it might be a nice adventure for you. Um, and if you go up during the summer, it doesn't the the, the sun oh, never sets, so mm-hmm. you basically get light twenty four seven. From May through to September, yeah. and it is beautiful. It's absolutely stunning. And then during the winter, it is the harshest, strongest wow. winters you'll ever face, wow. and you only get a couple of hours of sunlight. And I grew up with that, so I kind of understand it. And I used to always be happy when I would go to Aberdeen because oh. they get more sunlight, obviously. Um, <gasps> so I was always, I was always happy oh, when in this no. sort of winter I'd be in Aberdeen oh, because I'd be like, "Yay, there's the sun! I knew it existed." Yeah. Um, oh, but I couldn't gosh. sleep during the summers because the sun would be up and I'd be like too hyperactive oh. running around and my mum would be like, chill. Oh, no. okay. Chill. <laughs> so, yeah, but no, it's, it's a great writer's experience. Oh, and you, you talk about being able to zone into writing. <laughs> Having the Northern Lights <gasps> is one of the most, I reckon, creative injections you'll ever get. And then if you're in mm. a rural, if you kind of get a self-catering cottage in one of the little islands, you're completely able to just oh, submerge imagine, yes. yourself in what wow. you're writing. And uh, so I, I know there's a lot of writers that go up during the summer because yeah. um, it's very, hol- you know, a sort of tourism place. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a place that I recommend you visit. And it actually has a shipyard, a, a still working shipyard. It's a very tiny shipyard compared to yours. But um, yeah, wow, yeah, and this is actually a working shipyard with welders <laughs> that are still there, and they fix now. Whereas the one I wrote about, doesn't the fishing boats, and they actually yeah. build fishing boats still as well. Um, they call it the Malakoff, wow. which is uh, to do with the family that owns it. But yeah, it's really, it's a really a magical and. You can usually meet everybody that works in the Malakoff goes to the bar that's just along the street from it. So it's like the local pub and you're guaranteed you walk in there and there's guys in the welding suits and there's girls there and everybody has that kind of really open atmosphere. However, the live music is never great. I will 
I will say that because I went yeah. a few times. But it's it's a lot of fun, and you get that really kind of good yeah. atmosphere. And the great thing about Shetland is, is we're all storytellers, so they will you'll you'll have plenty yeah. of stories to come back with. Yeah. I think that's why Anne Cleese really yeah, loved it when yeah. she was uh, she came up because there were so many people willing to talk to her. Um, she definitely had an endless yes, supply yeah. of material. <laughs> so that's just another wee tip. You never know. Yes. I, I'll be sending you away with a lot today, but you, you never yes. know. It's always fun. Yes, so if you have time I, to just yeah. sit and, and just read, <laughs> you know, just read fun, read to enjoyment, what author would you pick or what series would you pick and why? So did I, actually. Yeah. I think I really enjoyed um, Jackie Collins. I came to her really late. And, uh, yeah, so strange. And and even though, obviously, you know, you know, she wrote a little while ago, I just really enjoyed that complete sort of just Have chill out. Have you tried out, Leslie Pearson? You know, um, escapism, really. Uh, so yeah, that 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 probably would be it for me. And the gypsy, now, I, I think I, which I've just finished reading, Survivor read was another one, one that was a really popular. Let, I think that was a Sunday Times bestseller. Like I'm terrible with um, Bella. Remember me, Camilla. She's a, she's a really good writer. And I think she's another one that just sucks you yes, in. I, I, mean, I remember I've read reading her just before surgery. Yes, I, I think I enjoyed so that, definitely. Into yes. her that I woke up immediately from surgery and I was just like, I'm going to read her. Mm. I don't care how ill I am. I'm just wanting to find out what happens because the gypsy was sat kind of early America. So this young girl oh, and her excellent. brother goes out to New York is- and it's their venture to the gold mines. And it's very filled with danger, very filled with tragedy. And you get a really good sense of that journey. But it's written in such a way you're so sucked in, you just can't let go. So I really like her. And the other person I always think is great, if you read her Omen series is good, is Kelly Armstrong. Oh, well, definitely try her. She's incredible. Mm. She's again, she did like a, now this was an incredible thing. She wrote a fantasy thriller with crime in it so you're talking about a three genre jump here and it's called omens and it's got crows in it it's got this lawyer in it and then this girl whose whole world explodes because they think her parents are serial killers and it's about her journey through that and how does she cope and what does she do to survive and then there's this whole town that ends up being involved in, uh-huh. in in this whole plot as well. So I really, it's fun. It's just a fun read if you need something to cleanse the palate and move on. But I, I knew she wrote fantasy novels. So yeah. the whole time I was reading the book, I'm like, yeah, yeah, is this fantasy is this thriller yeah. is this crime. I could not decide what it. What, I was so confused. And then I went. Because I don't read blurbs. I don't know if you do this. But I don't read mm. blurbs. I just, if I think a book looks good, I'll pick it up and I'll read it. Mm. And I'll give it a go. Mm. Mm. And I pray that I've made the good choice. Because <laughs> there's some books I picked up and I thought, what was I thinking? Yeah. But if it's a series yeah. and I get through the first one, I kind of yeah. say to myself, right, yeah. I've got to read them all. 
because I don't like not knowing how things end. It's kind of like with your series. I bought the first one and then I'm like, right, the whole series. I'm going to read all 12 now because I read yeah. them. And it's it's a horrible habit. And my husband's like, Crystal, yes. if we get any more books, our house is going to be a public library. Mm-hmm. We cannot. Yeah. I don't let go. I don't let them go. I honestly, if it's, a, if it's an author I fall in love with, I totally keep so you don't and i honestly yeah. he has built more bookcases than he built shelves as a shop there <laughs> i think he's kind of gotten tired of it for me so um yeah he literally looks at me at christmas time and he goes do you have enough book space and i normally go no uh-huh. and then he's like oh right i'll buy you a bookcase don't know where we're putting it but i'll buy you a bookcase you know <laughs> so Bless him. Great. I love the fact he's a joiner because he's perfect. But he builds oh. builds the best bookcases and fixes them too. So and I do tend to break them. So yeah. So what author would you you know if you had a chance oh, well, to sit and chat with anybody, yeah. past, present, yeah, who would it be and why? <laughs> and what book would you talk about? Oh, okay. That's not what I expected. <laughs> Oh. It would probably be gone with the wind, to be honest, because I, you know, I, yeah, she, I, I just find I would be really interested to talk to her about yeah, know, really her inspiration for it, and also how she managed. I don't think it she ever thought it would be a blockbuster. I think she just wrote it for the book. I would be to really kind of interested. as a sort of therapy yeah, session just to for sort of talk, talk to her about because it does hit on a lot of program. things I don't think people realize, and it highlights a lot of things that people don't realize. And I think to her it was it was a therapy session, ah. and I don't think because because the book only really took off after she le- she sort of passed on. I don't think she ever really realized ah. just the extent of of what that book actually achieved. Yeah. Of, of, yeah. Oh, well, that's really interesting because I don't know too much about her, but I think I was just so enthralled by the book and and that would make me even more interested in speaking to her, having learned yeah, that. Yeah, because let, let's face it, we all have a therapy that's session. That's the thing with writing, isn't it? There's how much is yourself, how it, much it is your experience. It is, it's very much like having a free therapist. <laughs> in a way. <laughs> on tap, you know? Um, and I, I do believe yes, in therapy yes. for writers because there's so much of the stresses of the job yeah, that, yeah. you know, you can't really explain mm-hmm. to outside people. So if you can find a really good therapist that you can see maybe once or twice a year, it can make your writing a hundred percent better because you're able to kind of get rid of those insecurities that you find hold you back and it helps you mm. really focus in on what you're doing. Mm. It's a good tip for writers out there. And I think I've just boosted a lot of therapy uh, therapists yeah. out there who'll be going, Ooh, thank you, Crystal. Mm. So what author yeah. um, would you say past or present who influenced you a to start writing B to start reading, and who's who's made you the most excited? It is a tough question. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I always go back to one of the first books that I discovered, yeah. which was Roots, when I was very young, and I just kind of happened upon it because it was it was in in on the on the bookshelf at home and i think that 
inspired me with regards reading because it wasn't just the story that was brilliant, you know, and had me totally immersed in it. It was because obviously at that time there wasn't what we've been talking about with diversity and everything. It was just it was also talking about injustice. So I think I was really moved by that and I could see the different way the different achievements you could have with writing a book. You can have it on so many different levels. You know, you can educate, you can make people aware, you can just give them a really good story. You can make them escape from their reality. So I, I think that was quite a, an important book for me. Um, and I, I also wrote a, yeah. read another one called, um, which is completely different, called um, Follow a Wild Dolphin, which was just all about following a dolphin and, and, and the life out in the ocean. But it was just the writing and the atmosphere. So, so they were primary books and obviously Gone with the Wind. Yeah. They were all books which which took me to, um, which led me to other books, that they initiated me into that love, I think, definitely. And I think with the writing side of stuff, I think I've just always wrote. So I've always wrote diaries and I've always wrote my feelings. I saw that sort of cathartic thing when I was younger, that kind of self, you know, therapy. Um, But I didn't really write stories. So, and then I was into the, journalistic yeah. writing and just sort of in the in the back of my mind it was I've always wanted to write fiction but I didn't really see how I could do it because you know I I, yeah. I know they're living with it so it wasn't that, until recently that those, those yeah. two things happened where I could write fiction and I could earn a living, living from it happened well um, I'll, I'll maybe give you this uh, diverse story and you can write I really, it up for uh... yeah I, but I really enjoy journalism, your, so, you know, I friends. really, really enjoy that. gives that. you a little... So. Let's, let's you keep your hand in the journalism side. You can definitely have it. Yeah. Um, so you can always listen to this yeah. back and yeah. you, know, you can write it up and have some fun. So if you could, t- you know, go back yeah, to yeah, time. Yeah, 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 definitely. Where would you go and yeah. why? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would as well. Ooh, yeah. I suppose you know what? I would probably go back to the shipyards during World War Two because, you you know, just just to see, you know, what what I got right, what I got wrong. Uh, I did speak to women who'd worked in the shipyard, so I did get a little bit of an insight to that world, which was fantastic. But I would Which actually ties in with my next question. Would you go back as a writer or would you uh, want to have forgotten all your, you know, your writing yes. skills and, yes. you know, that kind and of thing? Kind of, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I haven't gotten that oh, far no, in the series. I definitely want to go back as a writer. <laughs> oh yes, that, that. And, I promise. And one of my I will. Because um, I'm going to do a spotlight on all twelve of your books uh, eventually. It's just going to take me a while. Okay, I think so what I was planning to do is I do it no every problems. three. Um, so every time I've read three, I'll do a very special episode where I talk about my thoughts uh, and feelings on all three. And then I might actually just send you the link to that so you can hear as I progress through the series how I get on. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. please do. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see LinkedIn, love to hear which that. is I'm not, I must admit, I'm not brilliant on Instagram. I don't LinkedIn really as well. I think that. My, my main social media tends to be Twitter, Facebook, 
and you know that's it really which is you're actually better than most to be fair yes but i'm i'm not brilliant on that either to be honest yeah Oh, yeah, it's it is. It's little bit more about me that she didn't know that I wrote under a pen name so like she got to learn what the pen name was and she went away and she's she's reading Carla now um because she loved that fantasy kind of element so I always get messages out the blue and I have like a mainstream Facebook page that I get messages on and uh, most of the time my co-author hears more feedback than I do because he's actually on the circuit as a wrestler so he actually interacts with the fans more than me. So he's he's had some interesting comments from actual wrestlers, which which has kind of tickled both of our sense of humor at times. So um, yeah, sometimes it's weird. Like one of them said, "Do you know you have like a huge plot hole the size of an Arctic yeah. truck right yeah. there?" Yeah, it's in interesting the to get feedback because obviously it's nice feedback. That was a friend of both me and him, <laughs> and I was just, like sitting there going, "Like mm, you didn't have to point that out." I didn't notice it until he did that, and I was like, but now I'm very much aware of that, so if I'm writing anything, I think of possible holes. And I always ask my editor, look for the holes. Look for the holes. Yeah. Yes, yes, that is always the fear, isn't it? Yes, and that's why it's always good to have yeah, other people's so eyes I. on your that's, work. That's why I'm because doing like the you do need that feedback. Uh, you know, and I've done I think um, I, I sessions really, where I've read really like, a, like a ten pages feedback. of my book, um, or, yeah. you know, and, and things like that. Done these little extra um, episodes that mm. you can get, but I think you can only get them if you're actually like clicked in with Spotify. Because everything goes straight onto Spotify, so you don't have to like remember. Okay, Monday I've got, um, you know, an interview, and then Wednesday I've got a spotlight. Because the spotlights aren't starting till July, so like it's really good if you're on Spotify because it just sends it to you right away and it gives you a little notification. Hey, you know, Crystal's released this, and you know, like that's what I keep saying to people: if you've got one that actually notifies you when the new episodes come out, it's it's so much easier. That having to go and physically check. Um, unfortunately, I've mm-hmm. still not figured out yeah. iTunes yet. Um, and iTunes help was no help. So <laughs> I will get there yes. with iTunes eventually. It's just going to yes. take a little bit of time and probably a lot of growing for me before I get there. Has there ever been a book that you've picked up and you just, oh. you just thought to yourself, why am I reading this? Or why did I start reading this? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I w- wouldn't name any, but I have, you know, started a couple yeah. and just thought, actually, no, this is this is not my bag. I've but, had ones, but, you know, sometimes me. it's like just if you've, because if I've not read the, the I, blurb, it's not my thing, the, you know, not necessarily because I it's don't not know what I was written. thinking. But I picked up a silver um, day one, and I didn't realize. 
I like a little bit of steam in my books, but I never realized quite what I was getting myself into. And the first kind of major um, scene was a bondage scene, and that totally turned me off, and I had to put it down. And I love Sylvia. I think she's an incredible writer, and I say this to her all the time. She inducted me into the Romance Society uh, in America, and I I adore her completely. But the bondage thing wasn't for me. So it's the first time I I was Mm. working with a woman who loved it, and I basically donated the copies of Sylvia that I had. Mm my 50 shades of gray copy that i never read <laughs> to her and i'm like here little gift from me thanks for working with me kind mm. of thing and when i'm actually thinking of synchronous i'm getting to offload these mm. to somebody because <laughs> i'm just i'm <laughs> it's good because i i never wanted to give them as christmas presents because you just never know if someone's gonna be into that or not so yeah it was oh it's they, they are yeah i just it just wasn't my thing and i kind of look on it if i don't like a book no, I know it, it is like, apparently they're very very popular, but uh, I'm I'm yeah. So going into your writing, this is the fun part. This is what all the the young sort yeah. of inspiring writers listen for. Um, yeah, no, exactly. Talk about that. But I am a bit fascinated with your journalism, so I'm going to yeah. be wondering if your journalism is going to be tying into your fictional writing a little bit more. But how did you go about mm. creating the darker sides, like you know those? There's moments of fear and death and tragedy and things like that with Definitely. your your historical fiction. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I, a lot of the stuff that I covered with my journalism. So it wasn't like case you know, of like you're putting just sort music of speaking on to, to get your, sort of your brain into been that through those dark times, or was it just um, it just so I drew a lot, a lot from that definitely. process that you actually had yeah. to create. And obviously, we all. Yeah, yeah. No, it just kind of comes but uh, sometimes when I'm driving and I listen to some music uh, I can feel something and I think I must hold on to that I must remember that and I will go home and make a note of it so do you never you, do, I, do I do this and I, it's terrible stirring and, I either and really have a notepad a with me if I'm with people that but if I I'm on think, my own I use really my phone as a dictaphone and I'll say right and I, I will put just like almost like what you would call bullet points and I bully point it into a note so ah, that I don't yes, lose really it idea. because I'm terrible. <laughs> if my brain gets distracted with something else, I'll forget yeah. it because I, my brain will think I've written it, written it and it'll just delete it, yeah. which is horrible because every time I finish a book, it deletes the entire book from my mind, yes. which is not helpful yeah. if you're writing a series and you got to try to find how to move yeah. it forward. So yeah. for me... Um, I have to be super careful with that. So I'm always making notes and trying to make sure it's everywhere so that if I'm trying to do something, I, I don't forget. I don't forget uh, the important stuff. However, Ian, bless him, there's been yeah. many a night where I've sat up and gone, ah, yes. I've got this. And he's just done like, you know, the seatbelt thing that mums do yeah. in car accidents where they stick their arm yeah. out. He does like the seatbelt thing and he goes, sleep. And I just get shoved yeah, back down yeah. and told to go to sleep because he can't sleep if I'm up walking about the house or writing oh, or whatever. Yeah. It disturbs him. So he just sort of 
seatbelts yeah. me until I go back to sleep. Uh, so I have started making <laughs> notes inside of my bed because um, I've got a net, uh, uh, net light so I can yeah. scribble them down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good idea. Definitely. I've, I'm not very good with the sort of the, the iPhone and doing it, but I always have like just a little sort of notepad with me or beside yeah. the bed. Just like yeah. you, sometimes that's it. Your brain starts to relax and that's it when is, things so funny can, he, can jump so to the floor. Used to me and like you, they'll be gone by the morning. Years, so, you know, people, I just scribble on a piece of paper and then, and then that will like trigger 50. it off. Because we spent, I mean, we're the only people that we actually know that can be in a room together. 24 7 365 and we don't fight like every other couple does we don't we will argue and we'll debate about things and he'll tell me he's very good at telling me when i get history wrong wow. he's a history sort of he really loves his history oh, um, and he really loves his world war history and he's very much yeah. into sort of tanks and, and battleships and stuff so he's really been helpful with that uh-huh. but for me I, I don't know all that, so I kind of sponge off him a lot. Um, and we're total opposites because he's this six-foot-two biker from the east end of Glasgow who's had it rough and tough, and he's, you know, got that rough and tough exterior. Mm. And then I'm, like, barely 5'2", from Shetland, who's had this very sort of sheltered life. So we're complete opposites, but we, we, we gel so well together, and it was... We've got the kind of romance that story that people would think was a film not a not a real life thing whereas i spoke to him online for like two months my grandfather passed away i was so sad and i just totally didn't know who i was anymore and he came to shetland and we dated in person for like a week it wasn't it wasn't long at all and then i moved in with him and we've never Mm. been apart since except for when i stay in hospital obviously but um the two of us has been together ever since and it took us took us over 10 years to get engaged (laughs) we we were a bit slower than most um but we got there in the end so yeah i mean i think i i blame him for a lot of the romantic sort of notions i get stories i get Uh. yeah and he's like don't don't do it don't do it What inspired you to pick say that the sounds timeline? Like great material to use in your romantic um, writing, yeah. When do you like? What do you think you're going to write most in your career moving forward? Um, I think the timeline question for the Shipyard Girls was very much, um, I just happened to write the yeah. first one over six months. And and then when more were, was commissioned, it was just like, right, okay, everyone's going to be well, six months. Uh, sorry, so, maybe. so that was great. I that a little bit. Kind of had that framework um, to work in. Um, and the second question was, <laughs> what, what was it? Yeah, like, where do you think um, your writing moving forward um, will well, be ma- mostly based what, in? Like, what period where do you I plan to do most to of your mainly future writing? Is it going to be present day? Or are we going to see more historical? Where do you think you're you're going to spend most of your time? Uh, I mean, 
Yeah. It's a tough question, though, I must admit. I gave you a tough I, one. I don't know. That That's the weird thing, because I, I, I can be rather changeable with things. Um, I, it, it is, it is. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, I feel, I feel like I've been enmeshed in, in World War II period for sort of six years. Now I'm moving to being in sort of contemporary society. But I could see, in, you know, going back into historical yeah. fiction. So so I don't know. I don't know. At the moment... It's a, it's a tough question. I, I decided, you know, um, since uh, crime, I, I knew a little bit now, I'm very enmeshed in I can't in give the her the day. easy ones. But whether I got to challenge her a little bit more than my usual know. guess. <laughs> So um, when you write your books, is it like a, a movie that you have in your head or is it like a jigsaw puzzle that you, you kind of yeah. put together? Yeah, 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 yeah. No. You might find crime ends up being a jigsaw puzzle, though. Quite a movie, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to see it in my head and then and then write it. I am finding that a bit more with this genre, it's, definitely, I, I that it's, it's a little bit of both. So it's kind it's of jigsaw like and then a bit of daydreamy movie. It has a different Yeah, effect. then back to the jigsaw. So like yeah, romance is very much movie, it's very, very, very linear. I, and then you can you go into like crime, it's very jigsaw puzzled. Mm. Horror is very jigsaw puzzled. So mm. everyone kind of has their own way of presenting mm. themselves to writers and I, I thought it would be different for every writer but actually it's it's only um different with the genre which I think is quite interesting mm. yeah yeah it is that is really interesting actually yes because I've never viewed it like that and it's clicking yeah, it together. It's a really yeah. good way of describing it. That's so which character stayed with you the because most? Because you are sort of longest. putting that jigsaw together. So by the end, you have a full picture, which hopefully will satisfy the reader. Anyone, any yeah. character that sort of yeah. just hung around and annoyed you a little bit or just begged for attention. From or you always general think about. or my own writing. Oh, Okay. I think Atticus from To Kill a Mockingbird has always drifted I if around he's my feed head into your writing and because be kind I of think like he gave such wonderful guidance when I was younger and read it. So he's kind of always there as that, <laughs> as that. Um, yeah, you'll be like, well, ah, ha, Crystal, you've, you've, you've fixed now. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's what I'll be scribbling down in my book after we've had this podcast. Is is that I'll be putting yeah. at a question mark because I, I find yeah. people that have read Killing yeah. Walking, yeah, Hill, because it, he's such a really helps the crime rate, and I don't know why. Uh, I'll have to go and reread the book. That's so one book I do want to That might be an interesting yeah. one when you finish your crime novel. You can come back on and tell me if, it, if I was right and, and how it helped. So. What um, ah, so what character really have you written that you would have liked to have written? Yeah, about? yeah, yes, yes. Which one of those would would you say you would have liked to have written more about or explored more? 
Oh, so say if I was to pick up the shipyard girls and take a character forward, say be your... Um, oh gosh, um, two yes. characters, which I suppose were more secondary characters, so I didn't get to sort of really write them. And, and Kate is one who works as a seamstress. Uh, and has had this incredibly sort of hard upbringing. Um, yeah, I would definitely like to delve into her more. And Charlotte, yeah. who is the daughter to Rosie, because she's yeah, quite I like young. The sound of that. So I and think it, that would be wonderful sometimes to I find see it, it's how her the early upbringing, which is obviously very diverse and very different, because you don't would, get would affect to her as she went on. With them as yeah. So what techniques have you found the most helpful and what ones did you wish she hadn't tried yes yes yeah yes it's another toughie hmm. yeah i don't know really i don't know it is i did i did there was one book in particular that I did quite a lot of retro scenes in. <clears throat> and yeah. and I, I really enjoyed doing those because it really did. That was for a character called Pearl. And, and I enjoyed doing that because I wanted the reader to understand where she'd come from and, that, you know, perhaps empathise with her a little bit more. Yeah. So, uh, and perhaps yeah. on the same no, no, that way, does, they that's also didn't work in another... A lot of people say it's either, one of the like, uh, books pantsing, further down the line that I started and I just thought, no, and I took them out. So, yeah. So let's, kind of let's go into the funnest part. We're going into life, our lives, our, our lives, you know, behind the scenes and things that we enjoy the most. So what's the first um, thing that you do when you walk away from yeah. the writing and the, the editing at the end of the day? What do yeah. you go and do to just de-stress and chill out? Yeah. Oh, okay. So what was it before? Oh. Well, it is now yeah. the garden. But it never used to be. Uh, I suppose when I had I my dog, so it would probably be go and see the dog and take her out. For I, a walk, I was, I was even scared to go um, and get out into nature, which I suppose I kind of do with the garden now. Just simply because I was scared out and, that somebody would you know, come over to the garden to talk to me, and I would get that awkward. Uh, oh no! Moment, you know, like um, so. Yeah, I get that, and and nature can be really helpful when you're yeah. just trying to find that answer to the to the problem. For me, it's going. Yes. Um, I'll go and I'll do something yes. arts and crafty or I'll go and get yes. him to drive me about in the car and I'll read a book or something. And it just helps me to calm my inner voice and calm everything. Yes. Down. So what hobbies do you enjoy and what ones do you wish you had more time that you could explore? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're the second author we've had on that's a swimmer. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't really have hobbies. The only thing I do is I go swimming. Um, and I kind of... Oh, really? 
Yeah, I find water really therapeutic. Yeah, it could be. And, that could be a good you know, one to explore so in the I, future I sort when of combine you're that needing with, another with the kind of outlet for your stress. But other than that, I don't really have it's any hobbies, one. really. I suppose with the gardening. So I'm a crafter. Hobby, I, I cross-stitch and I diamond paint yeah. because my, my grand yeah. was determined to make me a lady. Um, she was a professional yeah. knitter yeah. by the time she was eight. And uh, she didn't tell us any of this till yeah. she passed on. And then we find out about oh, that. Um, so for for all of us, <laughs> all of us girls, we, we had to know how to cook and clean, sew and wow. do all these sort of crafty things. So are you a crafter? Oh, wow. That's good, yeah. Oh, I'm right. not, but I could, I could definitely enjoy it. I, 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 you know, I suppose I'd probably like to do art. The best way, see if I mean, you want to kind of just stick and, your toe into painting. Yeah, and she's, and she's, you know, the stuff that she does. You can get the really um, and I think awesome I'll, I would like to try that myself. Number you know. And they're thick actual canvases that you can stick on a cork board, yeah. and you just match yeah. the number to the paint. But there is, and you've got all these different levels of beginner, and intermediate, and advanced. So you can almost build it up to the point where you can, you can learn to draw your, your own sort of stuff on and paint it yourself. But it's a really good way just to, you know, try it to see if if you're a painter or if you're going to be a cross stitcher or if you're going to be a, a diamond painter. I I always recommend trying that. The diamond painting is very easy and it's a lot of fun too, and it's it's yeah. good for just. Yeah. If you're listening to a, if you want to listen to a podcast, but you want your hands doing something, it's very good for that. You know, mm. you can just roll out your little diamond thing, and you can set it all up, and then you can just listen to a podcast and and uh, do the do the diamond painting. So I, I yes. those yes. are sort of really easy ones uh-huh. I think to do. So it's a good good way to just dip your toe in and see. Yeah. And it's a good outlet too for for writers because sometimes you know mm-hmm. if we can't write, it get kind of is yeah. a good way of cleaning. Yeah, I yeah, would yeah. say. I think so anything I creative, think like isn't it? It's, it's all, any all about being creative. Yeah, think things through and mm. and kind of keep, it keeps us in that creative mindset too. So yeah, I like that. So for me, yeah, I've got a long term illness, as you know. Um, yeah, and it makes me slow down and appreciate the day. I do not get yes. a choice in that matter. What makes you yeah. kind of yeah, yeah. slow down and smell yeah. the roses like and really enjoy mm. what you've created in your life? Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think maybe it's a little bit like yourself. My husband has had um, a very serious illness with the head and neck cancer exactly um i think that taught me and still resonates with me now um to just enjoy each day because you just don't know what's around the corner and you know i think that was a very big thing and and with all of these kind of illnesses you you kind of you never know where you're at, really, do you? So it's a, I think, it's a really good answer. I think, I think COVID has taught a lot of people that as well. That really, it really guided us to my, appreciate my time in the and, moment, and everything that you know, we put just in. Really as well. enjoying. So, where's your favorite place now. to curl up during the day? Do you like the 
because in the UK we do not get perfect weather every day. So I I know we have conservatories, which is completely alien to a lot Mm. of Americans, but it's basically a room full of windows and a a really beautiful floor. No, I know. (laughs) Being in nature, but without freezing. So is it like a conservatory, your garden, or do you like to go to a cafe? Or have you got a reader's nook area that you go to? Yes. Ah, okay. I yeah, mean, I think um, the sofa in in, in our well, living room. Honestly, but that has I, a it's my dream to one day have a conservatory if I stay in out onto the garden. I will definitely so want a conservatory, but I eventually like, want to when I'm very old. I would and my kids are growing up, and they've gone away to live somewhere warm <laughs> that I can sit in the garden and read all day. And yeah. even if I fall asleep yeah. in the garden, I know I'm not going to get like yeah. shot or murdered or something i read too many crime novels it's essentially my issue so i'm always nervous about falling asleep in the garden with a novel but i i probably would do it so yeah now we're going on to the word game now this is the funnest part (laughs) for the listeners yeah it's the most nerve-wracking part for you and me (laughs) because it's the game where we are going to Mm. say the first thing that comes into your mind and hopefully um you know we can get through this so we don't totally fluster ourselves okay um but i gave the beautiful nancy a very catherine cooks in london yeah. uh, england theme so i'm hoping that she's gonna enjoy this <laughs> so the first word is okay. roses beautiful english roses yeah oh i like that that one's good okay orchids yeah, I like Well, that. I was thinking wall of roses. I, I, it's the only flower I could keep alive. Wall of roses. But I did. It was the only flower I could keep alive, and then my cats <laughs> have realized how to kill it. Oh, So wild I'm going to have to relearn that one, I think. Um, so the next one is port, which I'm going to explain this to the American listeners. Port <laughs> is a, a type of alcohol that we drink here in the UK. Oh, no. It's a little t- uh, nibble that we get, so just, <laughs> just so that they're understanding the word that I'm giving you. It's a good mix. I'll give you that. Stilton cheese and port. They go together. I'm sorry. It's, 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 it's a thing. It's a thing. So the next one is Steelworks. Um, Stilton cheese. Yeah, I gave you an easy one. <laughs> I gave you an easy one there. <laughs> ah, Shipyard Girls. No, actually, you did. You did. But I'll, I'll go back on that and I will say... Okay. This, the, um, uh, another author called um, that writes within the saga genre have to get has written about so like steel um, women who work in love, steel works. I love all the kind um, of like, World historical War II. ones. And she's so, called yeah. Michelle, Michelle like Rowlings. R A W L I N S. Yeah. Oh right. Okay, that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I like that a lot. And she actually, okay, so yeah, she wrote a, 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 a non-fiction book on it, and then she adapted it into that's, a that's fictionalized what, that, book. Honestly, that's what I yeah. get every time I say and that. She's, Everyone yeah. goes, "Oh, yeah. you can you can go with that." I'll give you a okay. The next, the next uh, one we as British people we know so well: the smell of a wet dog. Oh, is that cannot that be an answer? Oh. Yep. Yep. <laughs> 
Okay, thank <laughs> we you. We all know that. We all have a dog that we think of when we go, oh, wet dog. <laughs> oh, Rosie. Oh, wow, that's my favorite <laughs> that was type my of dog. dog. <laughs> Could yeah. But Rosie was very, very big. She was a bull yeah. mastiff, English bull mastiff. Do you, she should have just taken her to the room. But it would have been when she needs to clean, it's it would have been worth that twenty five pound or whatever. In the shower. Yeah. So yeah, very smelly. So the next one and is like countryside terrain because <laughs> we have a lot of that in the UK. So I just felt like that was very uh, fitting. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Funnily enough, when I when I did it. Um, I thought of the dwelling by Catherine. Yeah, Dickinson, countryside. And I thought oh, of countryside. Um, probably smell that look of smell that, that you get when you're in the countryside. Because that girl who's living in a cave and she ends up um, raising her son in a cave and just to fight to keep her son. So that one, I, t- yeah, that uh, one sticks with me. I don't know why. Mm. <gasps> That's really. Uh, I, I do want to go down there. I probably know when you say that. I'd probably say Coxwold. Um, Coxwold because I live just on the well, it's sort of in just on the outskirts of Coxwold, and that is beautiful. And my husband's like, oh, "I hate England. Yeah. Why do you want to go there?" <laughs> true, true Scotsman, true Scotsman at heart. So, what about London? What do you think of when you think of London? Yeah. Oh no. I think of Buckingham oh. Palace, and I think I do that because I've been watching The Queen on Netflix. Big Ben, because it just there was something on the telly about Big Ben being fixed, and it looked fascinating. And the inside. last one is Brighton. <laughs> oh, yes. that's yes. interesting. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, mopeds, scooters. He he would get on well with my husband. Yeah. Who's a motorbike and I only say that because my husband um, loves yeah. motorbikes. Yeah, we could just stick them in a room and ask. And we went there for a weekend. And uh, yes, so I wonder how long it would take for them to realize we weren't there. Yeah, that would be an interesting winter time. Oh. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's all our our, yeah. uh, our questions and our conversation yeah, tips for definitely. today. It has been amazing having Nancy <laughs> on, and I will keep my word yeah, and I will send yeah. Orchid's Guild for her oh. to have a nosy at and read. Oh. And uh, yeah, we'll have to have you back on oh. when you finish your crime novel and you're getting ready to publish it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It would be a deep honor, and I look forward to letting you know how the spotlights are going um, because yeah. that is a goal of mine. And the, the great thing is, I'm actually teaming up your spotlight yes. with while I'm writing. Yeah the rest of the uh the Shelley yeah. Doyle series because it's such a big novel but it, so I'm doing it in yes. chunks but I think I think it's going to be interesting and yeah. I think the only person I'll probably I've got two people that's asked to see it before the any publisher or editor sees it well my editor will see it first but before any publisher yeah. sees it so I'll send oh. you a copy of it well, and I'll send it to Larissa because I promised her too so and you get to yeah yeah, yeah. Yes. That, uh, that would be lovely. I'll 
we yeah. really enjoy reading yeah, that. Too. And it's been really interesting talking to you and hearing. I feel like I've actually You're learned quite a lot from what you've been saying. You're going to be scribbling in your notepad after this. Because sometimes you can be very cute reclusive when you're around and i'll definitely send you and some of those really crime novelists to try um, particularly now, i think because yes mike does a really good transition between the uk and america i am you honestly i've got it here ready. and i'll send you over marzi taylor marzi <laughs> yeah, loves hearing from people so if you've got any questions this doctor's thank really you. good at guiding you through and uh, she can recommend some great people to talk to as well um i i, I wish i could get okay. Anne cleaves on but uh so far no okay. luck um but I'll keep oh, trying. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. I know, right? But she doesn't oh, live in brilliant. Shetland. She's down in England now. So it's sad. Yeah. But um, uh, I will keep at it. I will keep going and uh, see where I go. She's got but to be on your show. Your show will be up in the end of September. So it'll be a, a nice uh, summer end, I think, to the show. And oh, it'll be a lot of fun. And I'll let you know yeah. kind of later in the time. Uh, yes. But thank you, everyone, for coming on. Yeah. We are going to have the lovely Maya my way. I am so sure I just butchered that. And she will be on next yes. week. And I cannot wait to share all of the information with you about her and the amazing stuff she's doing. But for now, I shall say goodbye for this week and see you all soon. <laughs>